This evening, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Second giving of the law of God, and not just a giving of it, a giving of the law through sermons. Here at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, a series of sermons that relate to the proper lifting up of the law of God. Moses is taking the Ten Commandments, and he is applying them to the lives of Israel. How are we to keep the Ten Commandments day after day after day? This evening, as we seek to honor the Lord as holy and lift up His name, a continuation in part of the Third Commandment, really moving to those activities that are fitting for the Sabbath. This evening, tithes. Tithes. Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that He will choose to make His name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil. And the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. That the Lord, your God, may bless bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. As far as the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing, the preaching of it. Lord, Lord, grant to us wisdom and discernment as we come to your word. We need to be told how to live, and though we have many ideas of how to do that, some of those ideas do not come from your word. They come from whatever traditions may be found in our culture, whatever things we learn from the world. Our desire, Lord, is to be shaped by your word above all else. And so if we leave here this evening reluctant to do what you have said, would you bring conviction? Oh, Lord, make us glad of heart to keep your holy law, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I remember speaking with someone who was visiting the church at one point whose sons were enamored with their pellet guns. And in an effort to be a good dad, he didn't want to say, all right, no guns. (laughs) He wanted to teach them some responsibility, not just the safety rules about how to handle a firearm, but also if you kill it, you have to eat it. We're not going to waste. So the boys took shooting squirrels and preparing those squirrels. I think he thought if he set down that rule, they wouldn't kill anything. But there they were in the backyard shooting and eating squirrels. God calls us 
to know where the things we have come from. <coughs> Perhaps that's one of the best ways to do that, uh, to have animals not just as pets, but as means of providing, not just hens that lay eggs. In fact, one day I'd love to have hens that we butcher. I hear it's a lot of fun. Actually, that's not what I've heard. <laughs> it's a chore. It is a toilsome labor. And it is a labor that many of us have been shielded from. Uh, when I speak of fresh meat, I speak of that which came out of the cooler in the grocery store. And oftentimes it's hard to draw a line from the grocery store sh- aisle and the grocery store shelf to where it comes from and how it got to my table. And one of the ways in which we introduce uh, an understanding of where that thing came from, whether it comes out of a box or it's fresh, is that we acknowledge this principle that all that is necessary for life and for godliness comes to us from God. The scripture speaks of this all the time. It is an act of the mercy and kindness of God that the rain stopped. We need more rain. (laughs) Falls on the just and the unjust. Why is that? It is an expression of God's kind condescension. God brings the rain. The grass grows. Crops flourish. Animals come. And we harvest all of them. All of these things that we consume, that we clothe ourselves with, that we shelter under, all of it, however you come by it, comes from God. It all comes through His sovereign hand. The principle of God's sovereignty means that there is nothing that does not happen outside of God's will, especially the good things that you have received. This is how Israel is to think of themselves and what they possess. And it is contrary to the thinking of the world. The rich man who sought to build barns in the New Testament that Christ was condemning was one who sought to build barns in order to satisfy and bring security to his very soul. His soul was satisfied not in the richness of God who gives abundantly, 1 Timothy chapter 6, remember that? It was just this morning. But in his stuff, in the acquisition of the things that he could purchase and invest in and build for himself. What tithing does is it reminds us of who has given us all things and it brings us into the very act of creation dominion whereby in the church and through the church we give unto the building of Christ's kingdom. It reminds us of where things come from and it makes us part of where we're going. This is the beauty of the tithe. And so tonight, I want to talk about two principles. The first, how you shall give the tithe and what tithing does. How you shall give the tithe first, and then second, what tithing actually does. Now, how shall we give the tithe? Well, we have instructions here, and this is for the church, really, these principles in every age. The first principle, verse 22, you shall tithe on all the yield. Whatever you bring in, You devote it to the Lord. Now, the way in which those things are devoted to the Lord is in the public exercise of covenant renewal. Let me put it this way. If you are going to take uh, flour and oil, the things that are not coinage, 
but resources to the house of God to devote them to him. Some of those things, Moses says, goes to the Levites for sustenance. Some of those things go to the poor for care. But the priests are not interested in storing your oil in their closet. Instead, we bring our tithe to the house of God in order to benefit and beautify and bless the gathering of the saints. When you bring your tithe into the storehouse, when you bring it on the Lord's day, what you are doing is you are devoting and consecrating that gift as an exercise of worship to Him for the building up and the preservation and the maintenance and continuing of the church. You can bring supplies. You can bring cash. At some point, cash won't be much. It won't mean much. But you can bring the things that are needed. For, look at this. Isn't this interesting? Um, When you turn your money in verse 25, I'm totally off my notes already. This is Sunday night for you. Totally relaxed. Then you shall turn into money and bind up the money in your hand and then you go and then you spend it not on things for your house but in the covenant renewal celebration of the people of God together. Do you think of your tithe as a gift to celebrate and delight in the fellowship of believers? You are bringing supplies to the party. And I don't mean to be trite. I am talking about the covenant renewal ceremony where God meets with his people and we bring those things that are needed for the party. Your tithe is a potluck contribution. And it culminates in a corporate celebration. We see this in verses 23 through 24. And before the Lord your God, he gets to tell you where to bring it. It was at his house. In the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. So you bring all this stuff to God's house, and then you eat it. You eat it. Now, we can't do that. We pass the plate around, and you don't need to put money in your mouth. Parents, have you had to say this to your kid? That is filthy. Don't put that coin in your mouth. But that was an exception to the normal rule. If you're too far away, then you can convert your cow, which is hard to travel with, to money that you can put in a bag that you can put on your hip. So you don't have to walk your cow to the temple. You can just simply bring the money from the sale. And then when you take that money to the area where the temple is, then you can buy the things necessary to celebrate. What I'm talking about is something that is almost more akin to our fellowship meals on Sunday, which is why we continue the fellowship meal. Because it is also an expression of our union and fellowship with Christ. When you bring your delicious contributions to the table, we're not just feeding our stomachs, we are nurturing the bond of the Spirit who has brought us together. The tithe is an expression of our unified celebration of what Christ has given to us. And in the Old Testament, God the Father, though we do not know the name of Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the triune God is at work here. 
So you shall tithe on all the yield. This is the first principle of how you shall tithe. And this tithe shall be a celebration. So there are many churches that say tithing is something that you do outside of worship. Deuteronomy chapter 14 would have us understand that tithing is something that you do as the very thing that supports and is part of celebrating the covenant that we have with God and that we have with one another. It is a celebration. So when you celebrate, what is often the condition of your heart? It's impossible to celebrate when you're an Eeyore, when you're frowning. This is why the scripture speaks of God loving a what kind of giver? A begrudging, a reluctant, a cheerful giver. Not someone who says, all right, I've said I'm going to make this sacrifice. Sacrifice? Sacrifice? Even the language that we often use about tithes reveals something about our disposition to it. Oftentimes when we think about the tithe, what we think about is that we're just sort of throwing it into this pot and we don't know what's going to come of it. You know what that's called? Taxation. Taxation is a compulsory offering whereby we give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And we hope and we pray, Lord, may the gift that I give be used responsibly, knowing full well what? It'll be a miracle if it's ever used responsibly. Yes, I'm speaking a little bit cynically. But we bring our gifts, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute in terms of what tithing does. But we bring our gifts together, not just to throw it into a pot, but when you give your tithe, I want you to think about this. How does this contribution contribute to the gathering of the saints, the lifting up of the body, and our celebration of the grace and honor and beauty of God? Now, it would be easier, I assume, if we were giving things that were immediately used in the celebration, the maintenance of the church, which is why every year you get a budget and you see where that stuff is going. Pay attention to that. You are supporting that. And I want you to think of it not as a chart, a spreadsheet, but as an organic support of a living, breathing organism that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you, the body. And when you give, the body grows. We, the church, are supported and lifted up. And this is where the support of the Levites comes from. This is the principle that Paul speaks of. Don't muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. Pay your pastors. Now, this is not a sermon that's going to focus on paying your pastor, though I've said it already, and I don't want to keep saying it because it's a little embarrassing. You do a very good job supporting your pastor, and you're doing it well, and you're obeying Scripture. Because the Levites did not have a share in the normal part of the land of Israel, they were to be supported by the members of the other tribes. If you, When you're working in the temple, you're busy with the things of the church, and someone brings you a meal. They support your work so that you might be busy about the work of the tabernacle in the temple. The maintenance, the preservation, the beautification of the house of God. Whether you bring me chickens 
or you pay my salary. Hey, right? It's all something. Now, it may be strange if you come in one Sunday and you get a little cage over there and you say, you know, I'm going to tithe five chickens. I mean, this used to be the way you got married, remember? In order for a man to marry a woman, the father of the bride would present a prize. If you marry my bride, this is the offering. That offering, and oftentimes it's reduced to a very sort of um, elementary exchange, these gifts were gifts to the new couple whereby they might live. I mean, if someone gifted me with 300 pounds of grass-fed beef on the day of my wedding, that would have been my favorite wedding gift. Right? It's a lot better. It's, a lot, it's money well spent. It's things that support. What we're talking about are gifts that support the work of the church. That is how we shall tithe. We tithe on all the yield. And when we tithe on all the yield, what we are saying is all of it comes from God. None of it is the work of my hands alone. So in our family, when we sit down and we pray, this is how I pray for every meal. Lord, thank you for the day you've given us. We're grateful for the opportunity, the time that you have given to us to serve you. We thank you for this food, for the hands that have prepared it, usually my wife, and the one who has given it, you, who have provided it. And so it comes from God. It is prepared by us. And then we enjoy it. What does that emulate? Creation. God gives it. We perfect it. And then we enjoy it. When we tithe, we are entering into a redeemed creation mandate. God gives us the stuff. We organize and perfect it. And then we enjoy it together. I think it's a beautiful picture, an ongoing picture, not only of creation, but also redemption. God gives us the Son. We give back to the one who has given us the Son, that the name of Christ might be glorified and furthered throughout all the earth. That is the building of the church. All right, how we shall give. Now, what does tithing do? I want to get back to the taxing part, not because it's sort of, you know, a bully pulpit. In Matthew chapter 22, in fact, let's turn there. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 17 through 21, though the story is a little bit wider than this, I want to focus on these four verses. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 17, some Pharisees came to Jesus, and you know, they like to ask him questions to try to get him in trouble, to see what he'd say. They say, tell us then... What you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Jesus was blunt with the Pharisees. Show me the coin for the tax. So someone asked Jesus a coin. And Jesus said to them as he's holding the coin and showing it to them. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they, were mar- they marveled, and they left him and went away. All right. If I were to pull out a dollar bill, or any of the bills, and you looked at the image on that bill, 
And I said, who is that? You would find great statesmen in the history of America. And it all indicates what? That that is a currency that is controlled and governed by a nation. Now, you can take that coin or the dollar bill, that paper money, and you can exchange it for other paper currency or other metal currency in other nations. And guess what you'll find on those nations? Uh, Maybe in China, it's a picture of a minority group or a ruler like Mao. Jesus is saying... It belongs to the one upon whom it's, the image is stamped. If the image of Caesar is on it, it's his. But that which bears the image of God belongs to him. Now here is an important principle. When you pay your tax, you are not, you are not expressing complete and unqualified allegiance to the one whose face is on the coin, are you? A tax is not an expression of worship. A tax is an expression of support for which you hope to receive something in return, some service, some communal good. But when we give to the Lord, we are doing it as an act of worship. And so when Jesus says, render unto Caesar that which bears Caesar's image, but render unto the Lord that which bears his image, To whom do you belong? The coin belongs to Caesar, but your heart belongs to God. Not just your heart, everything. You are God's. And not just you, but everyone you have ever met. Which means this. God is right to demand worship from all of his creatures. And that our lives are to be devoted to him because his picture, his image is upon us. The tithe is God's way of bringing us into the continual exercise of worship and expressing that we belong to him. Now, when you pay your tax, you never see that money again, do you? You really don't. Somebody sees that money, but it's not you and the benefit that comes from it for the most part. But when you give your tithes, even if those tithes are mishandled, There is still blessing that comes in being faithful to the Lord. This has happened in the church. There have been churches in this area where tithes have been brought in and the pastor or some other minister on staff has essentially stolen that money to pay for whatever. How does Creflo Dollar drive a Maybach Mercedes? That's a $300,000 car. Does the pastor need a Mercedes like that? No. What has he done? He has taken from the work of the church and built for himself, like an unjust ruler, a life apart from the ministry of the body of Christ. But when we give as unto the Lord, when you bring these things in, and when those tithes are used for the building up and the preservation of worship, we are blessed and God is honored. Your tithes should go to the maintenance and the support of the work and worship of this church. Now, that means the bettering of our parking lot. That is part of the maintenance of the work and worship of this church. But the primary purpose of this congregation is not to be a building with a fancy new parking lot. Or if we could just get rid of that building. 
or a nice playground for our children. All of these things that we wish to have. What is central? Where do the first fruits go? To the preservation and the building up of the worship of the saints, the calling in of the nations, and the lifting up and exalting in the name of Jesus Christ. So what does a tithe do? It humbles us and it teaches us to trust in God. Because he is someone who does not squander the heart that gives freely. Though men may squander, I would say if the session got together and we say, have we wasted resources? Yeah. We've not handled tithes perfectly. That's part of being human. But giving unto the Lord never results in the squandering of divine blessing. God blesses the cheerful giver. And so when we give to the Lord, at the very least, what we are learning is to depend upon him. He's teaching us humility. And not only that, not only do the tithes teach us humility, they remind us and others from where our salvation comes. Tithing is a responsive action. We respond to the one who has given us his son, which is to say everything. The Israelites would bring their offerings to the Lord to that place from which salvation came. Psalm 121 We are called to look up. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Look up. Now, I don't mean when you're passing the plate. Look up. That's not. The posture of your heart should be when I give this as unto the Lord, the expectation will be that he will use this small thing, this small gift. And it's all small compared to the riches of heaven to build and strengthen the furthering of his kingdom, and call worshipers unto himself. Now, you may not sense it. You may not see it. You may not be able to detect it. But it is happening because God is true to his promises. He will build his church. And the kingdom of hell cannot prevail against it. So, sometimes you do this. And not only that, but there is this interesting uh, thing here at the end, 28 through 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance, and the sojourner, the fatherless, he's calling essentially for a festival season where the tithes are, you throw a big celebration. A big one. So we celebrate, you know, athletic prowess every four years, the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I don't know if I still love the Olympics. I guess we'll see how woke they've become. But I'm looking forward. Is it the summer? I don't know where we are. Is that the one in Japan coming up? I love just the idea of every four years there's this competition. And because it's every four years, you're really waiting for it. Every three years there is this, we are going to party. We are going to sing. We are going to just enjoy this festival season where the Levites and the poor, there is no one without in all the towns of Israel. It's an eye to the diaconal ministry that will come in the New Testament, isn't it? And not just every three years. It is an eye to Christ's provision and his lavish salvation that will be poured out upon us. The tithes remind us that even greater celebration is coming. It reminds us where our salvation comes from. And also, what does the tithe do? It brings us into the act of blessing the body. 
when we had a covered dish, people bring something. In the South, and I imagine anywhere, there's never, there's nothing worse than being the person that didn't bring something. In fact, what often happens is this, and I've heard this. I didn't bring any, I don't have anything. We don't need to go. You've, wives, mothers, have you said this? And your husbands are like, oh, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. <laughs> and I understand that sentiment. When we give to the church, what we are doing is we are linking arms with one another and we are moving forward together and we're saying, look at what we are accomplishing together. This ties back into that creation mandate that is now redeemed by Christ Jesus. When you give of your life, when you give of your time and your talents and yes, even money, what you are doing is you are part of the body that is active in issuing forth the coming of the kingdom of Christ. Don't you want to be part of that? Someone said yes. I'm so glad. I don't know if it was to that or something else. (laughs) Yes, I do. I do. Can you imagine when Christ returns and you have been stingy with your whole life and you have not given to Him your heart, your time, your attention, your talents? He says, where's your offering? One of the ways in which we will prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ is we will give unto the speeding up of his return. Let's accelerate the coming of Christ by the faithful participation in the worship celebration and what is necessary to keep it going. How do we keep it going? How do we keep the covenant renewal celebrations coming? This is what the church has to offer the world. And if it does not offer this, it has nothing to offer the world. And so, by God's grace, Reformation will be that place for decades or scores of years or maybe even centuries, who knows, where the saints of God are faithful to bring in what is needed to continue the worship and work of the church. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God, we ask tonight.